Welcome back to another amazing episode of the MicroConf podcast. This week, we have a MicroConf refresh episode, and it's a talk from Laura Roeder from MicroConf Europe in 2021. And the title is Hitting Reset at Meet Edgar, where she talks through running Meet Edgar for several years and hitting a big reset and restructuring the company. And if you're interested in possibly attending this year's MicroConf Europe in 2022, it's in Malta in November. You should head to microconf.com Europe to find out more and to see if there are any tickets left. If you're interested in seeing the full visuals for this talk, there is a YouTube link in the show notes for this podcast episode. You can see that amazing stage in Dubrovnik, Croatia, and get a better feel for what these talks are like in case you're interested in uh, coming to one of our events soon. So with that, let's dive in to Hitting Reset at Meet Edgar with Laura Roeder. Let's lay the scene. It's March 1st. 2021 this year and at 5 p.m. I have the worst call scheduled of my life the absolute most gut-wrenching terrible thing I've ever had to do is gonna happen at 5 p.m. and I have to wait for it all day so I'm pacing around my house pacing around my garden all day just waiting for 5 p.m. to come. Because 5 p.m. is when we had the weekly team all hands for my company, Meet Edgar, at five, because I live in the UK, it's a US team. So the weekly all hands happens at 5 p.m. And I haven't been on the call for a really long time because at this point I'd been out of the day-to-day in the business for a few years. So I knew that as soon as my face showed up on that Zoom screen, the team was going to know that it was some big news and probably think it was some bad news, but they probably had no idea how bad that news was gonna be because on that call I told an entire team of people that they were all being let go. That every single full-time employee at the entire company was being let go. Uh, That sucked. (laughs) And what was interesting was the anticipation was so much worse than doing. Doing it was really bad, but the anticipation was worse. And I had been thinking about how it was probably what the business needed for years before I got up the nerve to do it. So I'm going to tell you the details of the story, but before I do that, I just want you to take a moment to think about what this thing is for your business. What this big or small, but maybe big thing is that you know you need to do, but you've been scared to do it. In my case, it seemed crazy to burn down a team like this because even though I let go of the whole team, the business wasn't failing. Uh, The business was and is a few million in annual revenue, good churn numbers, The business was doing well, but I made this decision because I knew this is what the business needed to make it stronger. So 
Before we go into the details of that decision, let's back up and talk about how I got to that point of that all hands team meeting where I had to tell everyone that they were all losing their jobs. I launched Meet Edgar in 2014, bootstrapped, self-funded business. And we had full-time employees much earlier than a lot of bootstrapped businesses. I had a training business that Edgar kind of grew out of. I already had maybe two or three full-time American W-2 employees in that business, so they moved over to Edgar, and then we added more on. At the time, I really loved the idea of working with people who were totally devoted to one business instead of having you know freelancers where I was just going to be one of their clients. I think I also saw a kind of script out there that said, if you want to have a serious, respectable startup, you need a team. Um, and it's a little bit gauche to ask someone how much money they make, but you can ask them how big their team is. You know, It's this little shortcut that we have for how, how serious, how impressive is your, is your business? You know, What size is your team? And as you are growing a team, each person needs to add more revenue than they're paid, right? That's the only way that the math works out. If each person on your team is paid more than the revenue that they contribute to, then your team will not be, then your company will not be profitable. Now that's very logical and it's true, but it's really, really hard to figure out for any role besides a sales role. You know, like this is all easy and well and good if you're like, okay, this salesperson gets paid 200K and they bring in 800K, easy. Uh, where it's really hard to do is for engineers, right? The bulk of the team of a software company I don't know about you, but I've always found it really impossible to attribute revenue to an engineer. And if you try to do it, it gets, you say, okay, well maybe if we you know, add new features, like that'll attract more customers, but often it doesn't. You don't actually know, you know which features are making people stay, and it doesn't really matter who built what percentage of what feature, right? It just gets really weird if you try to sort of force an engineering team into that box. So it's really hard to do with engineers. Uh, it's also hard to do with the rest of the team for a self-serve model, which is what we are at Mead Edgar. You know, we don't have that sales team. The way that people hear of us is usually word of mouth, right? So we absolutely crush it for search results for the term Meet Edgar, right? And that's how most of our customers come in. They've obviously heard of Meet Edgar somewhere. They Google us, they buy. So how do you attribute that revenue to someone on the team? Obviously everyone's doing stuff that all contribute to it, but it's really hard to pinpoint that to any individual person. Another element of the story of growing our team is that we had really fast growth, especially for a bootstrapped company. So we hit a million in ARR 11 months after launch, and we more than doubled the next year. Really fast growth in the first two years, but that growth, that growth rate did not continue. But we hired 
as a high growth company. Nothing crazy huge, you know, by funded startup standards. I think the largest our team ever was at one time was maybe 25 people. But when I look back, we would bring in full-time in-house people for everything. And I think at the time that was just sort of the script that I thought that I should follow. You know, I think of some of the roles we had. We had a full-time marketing data analyst. There was no reason for that to be a full-time job. That was a project that needed to be established, getting that data in. But once it was, we did not need someone full-time on the team. But what happens is you add people for these roles and then you don't want to fire them because that sucks and they're smart people and they're contributing to the business, right? And so you end up, what I found is you often end up without realizing it, creating a lot of busy work. And there was a lot of busy work that was happening in the business and it would just accrue over the years. You know, our customer service team would do office hours and Q&A calls and educational webinars and we could never tie it to churn. You know, we would try to say, okay, are the people who are attending this stuff, is it lowering their churn rate? The answer was no. Um, but it was something to do that seemed like it would add value to the business and people had time to do it, so it was done. So we ended up in this place where we had a kind of larger, robust team, but I was having a really hard time tying the people on the team to growing the revenue of the business. And here's where it really wasn't working out. The revenue of the business was not growing. After a certain point, we reached this sort of balance stasis point where the MRR was flat, where we were bringing in new revenue every month, obviously through churn, we're losing revenue every month. And we weren't trying to do that. We were trying to grow the business, but we weren't getting those results. So in 2020, we made a decision to say, okay, we're gonna spend, we're gonna reinvest more because we'd always had a healthy profit margin in the business. So we said, okay, we're gonna try something different. You know, we haven't been getting the growth we've been looking for. We're gonna try investing a lot more money into the business. So after, I've always taken owner pay, but after my pay and everyone's paid, we're gonna take the profit margin down to zero for 2020. So that means we reinvested hundreds of thousands more than we had previously in 2020. We also got PPP money that year, which was another few hundred thousand. Um, we used this to uh, put more resources on our engineering team. We added a big new feature that we didn't have, uh, which was Pinterest. We're a social media scheduling tool, so that was a big social network that we didn't have before, and then we did a lot of marketing support around that Pinterest launch. At the end of 2020, our growth was still flat. All of that work we'd done, all of those resources we'd invested had not been successful. Actually, our MRR was like a tiny bit lower at the end of 2020 than when we started. Some months we'd gone up and then other months we'd gone down and it got canceled out. So after a few years of having this flat growth, after you know trying some new things in 2020, at the beginning of 2021, I was just ready for a really hard reset on the business. I'm like, something about this business 
is not, is not making sense. And I knew something I had, as I referenced earlier, something I had thought about for years was that we had this team of people, and I would read business books, and it would talk about you know, looking at the ratio of your employee expenses versus the revenue you're bringing in. And when I would try to do these ratios, they just wouldn't work out for our team. So I thought, okay, what if instead of trying to grow the business, what if we looked at the business and said, what sort of resources and team does it take for the business to be just flat as we have been, right? And like I mentioned, a few million in annual revenue, so not a failing business by any means, but not a growing business. So if we say, okay, we're not, we're not gonna struggle to grow, we're just gonna be okay with the state we're in, what sort of team would it take to keep that stable state? Is the team that we have, if we're gonna be stable, you know, we can change our mind and try some other strategies in the future. But for now, if we're gonna be stable, do we have the right team? Is this a match, right? Is this team the right match for the stable growth business? So let's look at where the team was in uh, March 2021, earlier this year. So on the product team, we had uh, a product owner who was also a designer. We had three full-time developers and one part-time developer, one part-time QA on our customer service team. We had two full-time people, one person who split their time between doing customer service and QA, so you get that half and a half. On the marketing team, we had a full-time marketing manager, and then we would bring in various um, writers and designers or other freelancers that we needed for our marketing activities. And then on the operations team, we had a president running the company. As I referenced, I hadn't been running the day-to-day of the company for a while. We had a kind of HR ops kind of assistant role, and then we had a full-time in-house finance role who would do all of our bookkeeping, daily reconciliation, also financial forecasting, helping with taxes, anything around finance. So I'm like, okay, if we're not trying to grow, if all we're trying to do is stay stable, who do we need on this team? And that made me think about how value is created in software. So the amazing thing about the business model of software is that what people are paying for is the software, right? That that's what they're paying for. They're not paying for the team. They're paying for access to Meet Edgar. And the software is delivered without a team. I mean, a team obviously had to build it. Obviously, there have to be humans that do maintenance and bug fixing and things like that. But for you to buy and use Meet Edgar, it's a SaaS, right? No human, there's, there's nothing manual in that process, which I think is how most of our businesses in this room are. Obviously, you can do stuff where you're doing manual work for people, but I think most of us have self-serve SaaS businesses Someone buys your software online, they set it up themselves, they use it themselves. A human does not need to do anything unless something goes wrong, right? So the value that's being exchanged for the money, humans support that, but the bulk of it is really not happening from humans, which is why SaaS is such a cool business model and which is why a team can be so lean 
at a SaaS company because it's, it's not an agency, right? Humans aren't delivering it. They're not paying for people. They're paying for software. So if we're just, oh yeah. And so this is the before numbers of 2020. So the whole team together, I added up the hours. The whole team was doing 1,840 hours a month. In 2020, my owner pay was 10%, but then our profit margin, 0%, 0% growth. Who don't we need just to maintain? Well, we don't really need a person adding, devoted to product, because to just maintain, we don't need to do really any feature development. You know, it's an established, mature software. We have all of our core functionality. Don't need that. Development team, we need some sort of developer, right? Maintenance, bug fixing, things like this. So I think we could get away with one part-time developer probably. Don't need QA. They can just do their own QA if we're just kind of maintaining, right? Customer service, when I looked at our ticket volume, I saw that our customer service capacity was way, way larger than what we needed. Again, we're a self-serve business. Our pricing is 19 and 49 a month. We don't do any custom anything, any custom onboarding. It's easy to use. People are just answering questions via email. So one part-time customer service rep, if we stop doing all this extra stuff that we can't attribute to lowering churn anyway, if they're just answering emails, definitely just need one part-time person. We don't need someone to manage the marketing. Uh, I think to keep in that static state, we need to keep kind of maintaining the content marketing that we do, which for us is like writing or updating blog posts, sending out a newsletter, kind of some, you know, we use Meet Edgar for our own social media marketing, of course, and that handles that. Um, but we'll need some kind of freelancer someone to kind of help the marketing machine stay alive. And then the operations team is really interesting because the operations team, their only purpose is to support all the other people. If you don't have a team, you don't need an operations team. So this whole area, gone. You know, you need bookkeeping, but even that, you know, you probably do it monthly. Honestly, you could do it quarterly. You could do it yearly. I mean, we're a SaaS business. You can just look at profit well, right? The, the math is really simple for the bookkeeping. So this is what I decided to do. If we're just gonna stay flat, we don't need this whole team. A much simpler team is a much better match to serve the business. And I do wanna tell you, because of course I'm focusing on the logistical side, the business model side of this, but obviously there's a huge human side to this as well, which is why it was such a terrible thing to have to do. Uh, but because I didn't wait until the ship was sinking, we were able to give three months severance to everyone. We've always kept open financials with the entire team. So people, it was surprising, but it wasn't the most shocking thing in the world because everyone knew that we weren't achieving growth like we wanted to be, right? And people knew that things were not amazing in the business. So don't get me wrong, it was a terrible day. It was very bad news. 
but we were, because it wasn't a disaster point in the business, we were able to handle it in a way where we could be generous with people and give them plenty of severance, give them plenty of time and health insurance uh, to find their, their next thing. So here's the team that Meet Edgar has today. We have one freelance developer who does 20 hours a week, mostly, again, maintenance, bug fixing stuff. Uh, for customer service, we have a freelancer who does 10 hours a week, and then we have one backup person. I have another SaaS now, Paperbell, so I have them cross-trained, you know, just if somebody's out, they can do backup. Uh, the customer service rep hands bugs directly to the developer, so that's a really simple process. Uh, for marketing, we have a small content agency that just updates our blog posts. We've written over 500 blog posts. Why were we writing more every single week? That makes no sense. We're actually getting much better results now, search optimizing and updating the posts that we had already written, because they're old posts, which Google actually loves. So now we just have a freelance agency They'd completely handle the updates, all the keyword research, much, much lower cost for them to do all that than when we were paying just one full-time person. And then I like to mess around with marketing stuff, so I spend a few hours a week improving funnel stuff, usually. Operations, we have a freelance bookkeeper who does our books monthly, and uh, we have a freelance project manager just to kind of I don't know if anybody has any problems or little projects. The other day I got a letter from the state of Wyoming saying that I owed them money, so I sent that to her so she could deal with it, right? Just these random things that come up when you're running a business she helps with. So here's the numbers. And don't worry, I'll give you the side-by-side the -side comparison on the, on the next slide. Now we run the whole business the same Multi-million dollar ARR, same business, for 170 hours a month. Our profit margin is 60%, and then with my like salary of 10%, that takes my owner pay, since I own the whole thing, to 70%, we still have 0% growth. So this isn't some like amazing, like, oh, we did this, and then everything turned around. Like We still have 0% growth, that's the same, but that's how it was before. Right? This structure just makes so much, if you're gonna have 0% growth, this is the way to do it, you know? So th like this is the big before and after numbers. So our team numbers are 90% less hours spent on the business to achieve the exact same outcomes. And now the profit margin is seven times higher. Huge, huge, huge difference. And the point of this is not, like the profit margin is cool, but the point of this is not to say, oh, like look, you know, look how much more profitable it is. The point is really just about that, that match of what's right for the business, right? Like, does your business need freelancers in this role or full-time in this role? Like, are you excited about building a strong company culture or are you not? Like, which parts of your business really need the resources? Or maybe you have way too much engineering happening and it's really not needed for your business. Or maybe you have too much sales or too much marketing. Like, this is just about looking at what 
your situation in your businesses and making sure that the team and the resource spending that you have really matches up with what you truly need. And it's really hard to do that after you get started. Because seven years in, I found what I needed was to let go of the entire team and replace it with a totally different structure. That's a really hard call to make because the people working at the business were excellent. They were really good at what they did. They were really smart people, right? They weren't doing a bad job. We just had roles that weren't really needed for the company that we had. So I want to take, I left a lot of time for questions because I want to know what you want to dive into more. But what I want to leave it with is just for you to again reflect on what is this thing in your business that feels really scary, that feels overwhelming, feels like you can't do it, but you know that you need to do? What is that change? Thank you. Uh, thanks, Laura. Um, great talk. Uh, difficult decision, I can imagine. Um, I'm, I'm wondering, though, uh, there, there's a lot of com competition in your field. Mm -hmm. um, and by uh, removing most of the product uh, capacity within your team, are you not afraid that your product will stagnate and eventually uh, growth will, yeah, uh, at least you'll decrease in, in revenue uh, along the way and that you'll be yeah, squeezing out uh, most of the business uh, like this? Well, I think, that is, I think that is likely. I think that that is expected. I think if we continue to keep the product in the same place over time, yeah, it won't stay exactly flat. It'll continue to inch down. And so I think that's just a question of, I can either be okay with that, of saying, okay, I see it inching down. There's a lot of room for it to inch. Or we can bring in more resources. Um, so something we've done at this point is we have a dev agency trained up on the software. Honestly, we thought we would need more resources than we do, so we got an agency trained up, and then we saw that we just don't really need them right now, but we could bring in them, or we could bring in other talent if we get to a point where we're like, okay, we do wanna spend more on feature development. So it's just looking at it in a more flexible, and of course there are downsides to that, right? Like we have a huge code base they're not familiar with. As the people in this room know, you can't just snap your fingers and just like pop a new feature on. But that's now a trade-off that we're willing to make. Hey, Laura. Hi. Great talk. Um, I'm curious, like, why... Uh, so you also have another business coming up now. Uh, and now you're making a couple of million. That's, like, great money. Why not sell it? I think I will. I think I will. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's something that I am exploring. And... I knew when I made this change that that was something that was on the horizon. I could kind of decide, okay, do I keep it? Do I sell it? And I wanted to see how it felt with this new structure. It's a little boring with this new structure, honestly, because it is so, yeah, boring, because nothing, nothing really is happening. Um, so I, I do think that's something that I'll do within the next year or so. Um, great talk. Uh, thank you, Laura. Wait, who's talking? Pierre. Okay, thank you, Pierre. Um, one question I have is, how could you have avoided, like, so, like, you, you told us what led you to hire that many people, but what, you could, what could you have done differently to be lean from day one? 
Well, I'm doing it because I have another SaaS now, and that was also a big impetus in making this decision because with Paperbell, uh, I have gone a different route of going very freelancer heavy. I mean, Paperbell is much, it's a much smaller business. We launched a year ago um, and the growth hasn't been, you know, we're not at a million ARR. The growth hasn't been as fast as it was initially for Meet Edgar. Uh, but I just saw with Paperbell firsthand how much we could accomplish with really targeted freelancers. You know, we're also like your business, very SEO heavy and content heavy. So our process is... We hire a freelance firm to write the keyword briefs, do all of our article research, hire freelance writers to get them done. And it's been amazing to me how effective that is, you know, that we have a whole now great content SEO strategy that's really starting to work with such a lean team. And so now we're ready to grow our development capacity, but we're not looking to bring on someone full-time yet. We're looking to bring on someone freelance who wants a side gig. Oh, by the way, full stack Ruby on Rails. <laughs> cool side gig while you're on your SaaS. Um, so yeah, we're just approaching it a different way where it's like, if we ever do full-time to really be sure that this role is going to be indispensable, you know, in, in the future and to really avoid um, having full-time in-house employees if, if we can, which is just a different experiment. Like I, I genuinely don't think that that's what people should do. I think I'm excited to try that this time. So that's what I'm trying to avoid some of the mistakes I made before. Um, this question, oh, by the way, very nice talk. Uh, if you were thinking about selling your company and the prospective buyer asked you, why can't you grow, what would be your answer to that? And what sorts of things have you tried to do to grow? And why do you think you can't grow? I mean, it's, it's the million dollar question, right? If I knew exactly what to do, um, I would be doing it. I know that there's space to grow in this industry because there are social media scheduling tools that are larger than we are. So I know we don't have every customer that you can have. Um, you know, I mean, I've started exploring the process of selling the business. And it's interesting when you sell because I think a lot of the things that you feel are huge problems in the business, and they are, but they're also big opportunities for the acquirer, right? An acquirer often doesn't want a fully optimized business. They want to come in um, and be able to add their playbook and add their growth strategies. So I don't have an amazing answer for you. I mean, I suspect that it's a change in... Uh, positioning slash pricing. We have no expansion revenue. We have, I mean, we just added a $19 plan like two years ago. So you can technically move from 19 to 49, but there's no usage or users or anything like that. So that's kind of an easy target. We actually started building um, the ability to add on more users and charge for them when we made this whole big change, so we, and it wasn't done, so we just shut down that feature. So I suspect it's something in there, um, but I don't think I'll be the one to, to find out. I think there, and honestly, that's the other thing about selling it, I do think there are people out there that are going to be able to do a better job growing this business. Really, really great talk. Um, I'm just thinking now with the questions, with the selling, like, 
it strikes me that what you did was actually um, prepare the, the business for a pivot. Mm -hmm. Because it's a lot easier when you have a small team uh, than asking a current team to do all kinds of things differently, right? So maybe that's an argument in, in the selling process, or maybe it's a way to go for you. Uh, obviously, you have another company that you want to focus on, so maybe it's not. But how, what did you think about the pivot? How's the market for that and stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, that definitely aligns with my thinking at the time, that this would be kind of a clean slate and there were different directions that I could go, that I could decide, yeah, just to keep the business passively, that I could decide to sell it, that I could decide, okay, we need, we're going to build up a team again, but we're going to build it in a different way with a different mix of roles. Also, just, you know... I obviously just did a bad job keeping people on priority. You know, when I look at the size of our engineering team versus now and getting the same results, um, I'm not a developer. Y'all love refactoring. You love refactoring so much, and there is so much of it happening at Edgar. We have a beautiful code base with so much testing, um, but I think the priorities were not right in what we were spending time on because we, we didn't have the right balance of all, all the refactoring and stuff combined with maybe things that would put us ahead with a competition where we didn't get that balance right. So, yeah, I think it's it was kind of a clean slate move, and it can it can go a few different ways in the future. Uh, hey, Laura, thank you very much for amazing talk. Uh, I have a question. Uh, have you stepped back because you were saying that you were growing initially uh, very intensively? Uh, have you considered maybe there is was something changes that you stopped to grow, or you? It was just a market uh, itself because it feels that market is quite big because there are a lot of tools and they keep growing. Maybe something happened at this point. Yeah, so I actually did um, an episode on startups for the rest of us where I did talk about some of this in more detail. So there was one big event that happened, which was we lost the ability on Twitter to kind of do our core functionality, which is repurposing content. Twitter banned uh, sending the same content out repeatedly. And that was like, that was the beginning of the bad times. Like we lost a big chunk of MRR at that time and we just like never got our mojo back. Um, also, when we launched, we were super unique and we were the only ones with the ability to do what we did with the workflow. And since we launched, there more copycat tools came out, which happens. So I think also that is why we didn't, after time, have such a fast growth rate. Because at first, for the first two years, if you wanted to be able to repurpose your content on social media, we were the only game in town. And now, and now we're not. So yeah, I think it was internal mistakes that we made and also external factors that made things a little harder. Hi, Laura. Thanks. It was a great talk. Um, you obviously had a lot of learnings from me, Edgar, um, and I, whether that was your first startup or not. In terms of when you then started Paperbell, you had a new vision for how you wanted to build the business. D did you find it hard to stick to that, or did you find yourself slipping into old habits? Because the last time you built a business, you did it very differently. Hmm. That's an interesting question. Um, I did... I didn't find it hard because I do have a lot of the same habits because there were a lot of things that we did right with Edgar, right? Like I said, it's kind of weird because I'm I'm up here talking about something that's hard and something that's a bad time, but I the business is still, you know, I definitely still consider it a success overall. So 
With Paperbell, uh, you know, I referenced SEO and content marketing. We're using that same playbook to build Paperbell that we used to build Meet Edgar. You know, that's kind of my side, the business marketing side. So I'm doing a lot of the same habits and the same activities, but really the team stuff is what looks really different. And it's not hard for me because I miss it, because it was so long since I wrote marketing copy for Edgar. You know, I had other people doing that, but I love doing that. So it's actually been really fun for Paperbell. You know, I built the whole website myself. I wrote all the copy on it. I'm, I'm still at that place where it's really fun to be able to do all that execution work. Maybe in a year or two, I'll, I'll get bored of it and I'll have more people doing it. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's largely the same kind of playbook and how we are building the product and the marketing. Uh, but with a different team structure. Thanks, uh, Laura, for being uh, so candid with your your tough decision that you had to make. Um, I had a question regarding, like, were you involved in setting the roadmap and the product vision? And, you know, how did you get to the point where you're just like, I'm willing to throw this all away, like, none of this is going to work. I'm going to downsize the team. <laughs> Well, I don't know if anyone else does this. We would throw out our roadmap all the time. I don't like. I don't know if we're the only one. Like our roadmap was just get crazy, and then we'd be like, we can't handle it. Like we're throwing away the whole thing. So, I think that part maybe didn't seem that that weird. Um, and of course, there are always things to build and always things to improve. But we we do feel like okay, the the core functionality is is there, you know, there, there aren't like huge things that are super missing from the product. I mean, in my opinion, maybe someone else would feel, would feel differently. Um, so yeah, you know, I would be, I would be sort of involved with the product vision, but honestly, it's not a huge strong point for me. My side is definitely more marketing and audience building and stuff like that. So not having control over that and throwing it out was not super sad for me. Thanks for the talk. Um, in the beginning, you said you had the feeling that as a proper startup, as a real startup, you had to have lots of people to present yourself. Did you also have an office? Did people go to an office? Okay, just no, we were always picture. remote. Yeah, okay, we okay. were remote, but we were all in the US and we would work at the same time together. So a kind of synchronous remote. Thanks for the talk. Um, how did the team handle the news and was there any hard discussions after the initial announcement and how did that went for you? Um, it went surprisingly well, and I don't want to sound blasé because, of course, it was easier for me than it was for the other side. Um, we had actually built, our retention for the team was amazing because we had built a really great place to work. We had really great work-life balance. We paid well. People had great benefits. So I actually heard from more than one person that they were kind of wanting to quit but they were not wanting to be disruptive to the team or they didn't want to lose some of that culture that we had. So there, there were at least a handful of people that this was immediately kind of a, I've sort of secretly 
been hoping for this. Because also, like, being in a startup that's trying to grow and is failing sucks. You know, it's, it's not fun when you're like, we're going to put all this time and money in 2020 and all these things. That didn't work. <laughs> it's, it, it sucks. It's hard, you know? So, Honestly, there was only one person who did have an extremely negative reaction and have a really hard time with it. Um, but besides that, like I said, the anticipation was actually much, much worse than the conversations. Um, and, you know, I was able to see the jobs that people went on to next. And some people in the company, you know, like on our customer service team had never worked in the startup world before and then they got to go on after us to some of the really like top well-respected companies which they were really excited about. So that was that was really cool to see. All right. Thank you, Laura. Thank you. Thanks again for listening. If you're interested in potentially attending MicroConf Europe, head to microconf.com slash Europe to find out more. We have an amazing event planned this year in Malta, and we host them every year in the fall, and I hope to see you there.